0: We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Taala. We seek blessings on the Prophet peace be upon him. Okay, continuing our exploration of Al Fatiha. So, the first half of Al Fatiha is describing Allah in relationship to us. The second half of Al Fatiha is describing us in relationship to Allah. Right? We have a teaching attributed to the Prophet peace be upon him where he is quoted in what we call a Hadith Qudsi. Meaning the Prophet peace of upon him is saying that Allah is saying that um, that Al-Fatiha has divided, half of it for him, half of it is for us, right? And there's more narrations that a person should read on what is it, what does it mean when Allah says, when someone says, you know, Bismillah, what does it mean when someone says Alhamdulillah, not in translation, but what is the response then that Allah gives to that, right? There's hadith that, that address that. And so now the second half of the surah, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُوا وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِيدُ So, you alone we worship, you alone we ask for help. And we talked about the idea of worship uh, not too long ago, uh, where worship is to, to give your most extreme love. Right? When you take something as an ilah, you are an abid uh, to that ilah. So, when you worship something, you give your most extreme love. We spoke about hub more than hub is ishq, more than ishq is ibadah. So, when you love your beloved, you do things for your beloved, you sacrifice for your beloved, etc. When you are in adoration, passionate adoration for your beloved, um, then you put your beloved on a pedestal, all you see is perfection. Ibadah is complete voluntary uh, subjugation, complete voluntary submission. And this grammatical form, and na'budu is basically saying you alone we worship. And built into that is also the meaning. We, uh, So it's four meanings built in when we say and na'budu. Number one, you alone we do worship. You alone we will worship. We do not worship anything else. We will not worship anything else. So it's four meanings built in. You alone we do worship. You alone we will worship. We do not worship anything else. We will not worship anything else. Yeah, yeah. And in the second half, you alone, we ask for help. Same thing, four meanings. You alone, we do ask for help. You alone, we will ask for help. We do not ask anyone else for help. We will not ask anyone else for help. Now, here's the question. Uh, If I'm saying in this ayah so categorically that I worship or that I seek no help from anyone, then suppose I get a flat tire. Am I allowed to ask someone for help? What do you think? If I'm saying right here, no help, I seek no help from anyone, what do you think?
1: Well, I believe that you do everything you can do within reach, then once you've done everything, then you reach out to Allah.
0: So, okay, but what about should I uh, get help from another person? Uh. (laughs) Or let's say there's a, a problem in my homework that I don't understand. Should I not reach out to someone else. You, sh- you
1: should.
0: Yeah, totally. You
1: should. Maybe he, he's answer to it a
0: so. Okay. So, so the way to think about this is that there's a couple levels of faith built into this. So one level is that <clears throat> the level that most people are at, which is, okay, I'll let Allah Ta'ala set the, up the whole universe the way it is set up. And so part of the process is that, yeah, you interact with other people, you get help from other people. Remember, one of the themes of the surah is connection. So it's a good idea to get help from other people. It's a good idea to give help from other people. Okay. A level above that is that your dua is so strong that you seek help from Allah with confidence that Allah is answering your dua. Okay. So you make dua, then you ask. For... So, so the point dua. is that one level, so, let's, so one level, we'll call it the atheist level. So that's a person who gets flat tire and then they, you know, either they can't, they fix it themselves or they find someone who can help them. Okay. They're not thinking of God. A level above that is you're making dua to Allah. Yeah. And then maybe that Allah sends someone yeah. to help you. Okay. And a level above that is you do dua to Allah for your thing to get fixed. Yeah. And you know it's going to get fixed. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, so the point is that these are different levels of faith. As-salamu Good to see you. But the real point here is that what are we seeking help on? It's answered in the next ayah. Uh, guide us in the straight path. That you only seek guidance from Allah. So you might go to a teacher to help you understand things related to Deen. We're in Al-Fatiha. Uh, you might go to, uh, you might go to uh, the teachings of the Prophet, peace be upon him. But only Allah has the ability to guide you. The Prophet himself, peace be upon him, does not have the ability to guide you. Meaning, Allah, uh, the Prophet, peace be upon him, does not have the, uh, the ability to turn your heart. Only Allah has that. Okay. Um, the Prophet has the ability to purify you. He has the ability to teach you. But only Allah guides your heart. So that's we turn to. Excuse me. <clears throat> so, that's, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُوا وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ And then, إِخْنَا الصِّرَاتِ الْمُسْتَقِيمُ Guide us on the straight path. What are some ways, forget, forget Islam for a moment, if that's possible. Think of a map or GPS or something. What are ways, if I say something is a straight path, what do you infer from that?
1: You're not going
0: to be turning left or right. Okay, so I'm not going to turn left or right. It's straight. What easy, else? Easy it's probably the easiest way. What else? There's an even simpler point that's that's so assumed we don't even mention it. Well, there's a destination, right? Uh, Built-in is also movement. And the point here is that what I think of Islam will affect my practice of Islam. Okay. And now, we said before, what I think of Allah truly in my heart will affect how I look at what happens in my life. So if I think of Allah as Punisher, then when things happen in my life that are difficult, I'm going to think they're punishments. Okay. Like, for example, what is the common explanation by a whole lot of people when something bad happens to you? Nuzzer, right? So it's like, this happened to me because of Nuzzer. Like, I had a, uh, a student who got accepted into every law school he applied to, except for one, which is the one he probably should have gotten into, and, and his family is thinking that they nuzzed him, uh, because they started when he got into eight out of the nine schools, they started telling everyone. He got into all these schools, and then the next school, which was the last one he was waiting on, he didn't get in. And so they like think it's... Nazar? Nazar. I'm sorry? Nazar? Nazar is evil eye, basically. So jealousy, that then translates as the evil eye. Uh, there are some things that are definitely nazir, but I'm suspecting that is not at all even remotely related to nazir. But that's the first thing people go to, right, as an explanation. So what you think of Allah in your heart is going to inform what you think of how things play out in your life. And for a lot of people, Nuzr, whether or not they admit it, is actually stronger than prayer. That's why they turn to Nuzr as an explanation. If someone nuzzers you, um, and you're praying for it, a lot of times people think Nuzr is stronger. Yeah, than prayer. Yeah, and I'm saying that is not correct. But related, what I think of Islam will inform my practice of Islam. So if I think of Islam the way most people do, assalamu alaykum. alaikum If I think of Islam the way most people do, which is to think of it as this, the way we think of Catholicism, like this big, giant thing with all these rules and ideas and everything that feel cumbersome to practice, that will affect my practice of Islam. It'll make it seem psychologically a lot more difficult than it actually is. Okay. But... Here, the first description of Islam is straight path. And think of all the things we said. The easiest way to get there. So, if you think of Islam as something that makes your life easier, uh, that will affect your practice of Islam very differently. Think of it the same way we were just a little while talking about exercise. What is exercise? You go through a little bit of difficulty, okay, a little bit of struggle, for a greater amount of ease. So, think of Islam that way. That I'm going through... A small amount of struggle for a greater amount of ease. And another way to frame that, ask yourself, and this is a discussion, um, just what do you think? Which one's easier, life inside Islam or life outside Islam? And honestly, how would you answer that question? I
1: would say life outside of Islam because there will be no rules to follow. We just do by where you feel like it. Okay. So obviously following Islam, we do it out of faith. So uh-huh. in faith, we follow these Strict
0: rules. And that makes it Yeah, so it seems like Islam has all these rules. If we're outside of it, then we don't have all these rules. Yeah, yeah so it seems a lot outside.
1: Sometimes the benefit's not obvious. Like It's just belief in the judgment, but yeah. it's belief without belief <laughs>
0: So there may not be apparent benefit in this world that hopefully we'll see the benefit on the other side, sure. What do you think? Which one's easier?
1: Okay, so I think it's different based on personality types. Sure, fine. Because if you're someone who likes rules, then like cuz it gives you So if you like, want rules and structure yeah This is yeah. exactly what you got to do to get that you know yeah. good grade in tenan uh, So yeah, like, totally, yeah totally I mean like imagine like okay this is like the scenario kid okay, like we walk into a store and for like girls there's like so many things that you could buy but because of Islam it's restricted to like one rack
0: Yeah this is not a problem that I have very often Okay <laughs> yeah, no, 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 but, but uh, yeah, yeah you guys know right yeah. so
1: like but then it's easier to like shop and easier to like deal with that okay. there's less choices like, I'm someone who doesn't like choices. Okay. Or, like, I just can't choose. So, okay. like, to have Islam tell me, like, more of, like, a guidebook
0: is, like, good. Okay. It's,
1: I feel like it's easier than, like, not. Sure.
0: That. Sure. Okay. So you're saying yeah, you, you honestly feel like life is easier in Islam because then you don't have to make as many decisions.
1: Kind of, yeah. Okay. But I was also, like, privileged because
0: I was born into Islam. Okay. So that's why it's, like, easier. But if you were, let's say, a convert, then it might be, like... Okay. That's what you think.
1: I think, like, in the West, it's easier outside of Islam just because you don't have to, like, you can conform with whatever everyone else is doing. If everyone mm-hmm. else is going and drinking, you're mm-hmm. not going and drinking. You don't have to, like, continually, like, explain uh-huh. this is what I'm doing, this is why I'm doing it. Uh-huh. So it's just easier to, like, go with the non Islamic flow. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure.
0: Okay, so now let's change it. Uh, is life with exercise easier or is life without exercise easier? Or is life with fitness easier, or is life without fitness easier? How would you answer that question? Not what you should say, what you really feel the answer is? Without. without. No, I believe
1: it's something that you only know the benefits after you've done it. So it's like okay. saying slama, yeah. you don't know the benefit until you went for a while. Like, in the beginning, it's you know, the pain. Uh-huh. But then after you've done it for a couple of months, years, then, oh, you see the benefit. And that's all the latest is
0: slama. Sure. And that's that's the point, right? In the short term, life outside Islam might be easier, right? Because there's all these things you don't have to think about now. Long term, we're saying in dunya, life outside Islam will be tougher, right? It seems as though it won't be because we're looking at everyone else around us. Uh, But one thing the practice of Islam will give you, if you practice it, um, is peace of heart, peace of mind. Why? Because you have a bigger understanding of how all the struggles of the world work if you actually go through that process. You could be someone who goes through all your five prayers and you're miserable, right? I've met plenty of people who go through their five prayers and they're still like these angry, grouchy people. And I find myself thinking, you know, are you actually like praying? You know, the praying should give you peace of mind. And so, but the point being, and it's the same thing with fitness, right? If you go to the gym and use the wrong form for everything, you can cause cause yourself more pain than, um, than benefit. And so... So the point is, try to take conscious control of how you imagine Islam that will influence how you practice your Islam. It's, I'm saying it's causation as opposed to correlation. Right. And that's a choice. But the default way that we in our community look at Islam is we see it as this big, gigantic thing with all these prohibitions. Right? Don't drink. Don't dress this way. Don't eat such and such. Uh, And all all those things are there, and for some people, yeah, they might make choices easier. But the point I'm making is that uh, sometimes what makes that difficult is we feel sort of a sense of isolation, like you know I'm not part of the cool crowd, you know, things like that. And shift uh, as a conscious, active choice, shift how you frame Islam in your mind that will affect how you practice your Islam. So what happens after you start working out for a while... You start developing a craving for it. You start developing joy in doing it. And then you just want to do it more. And then you want to expand on it, you know, moving from exercise to diet and everything else. The same thing would happen with your Islam, too. You can bring yourself to a point of craving for it. One way to help you do that is when you make dua, ask Allah to help you be pleased with him and for him to be pleased with you. Okay? And to make that process easy, make sure to always add the Make that process easy, because you know what if he burns down your, he causes your house to burn down, and then at first you're miserable. Then you're like, Phew. you know, I'm thankful that I survived. Yeah, maybe you don't want it that way. So the point being that um, ask Allah to make you be great, uh, pleased with Him, and for Him to be pleased with you. Yeah. Make that a regular dua, uh, like something from inside. And to make that easy, that process easy.
1: In my experience, that was very true. Like, first, I would read a lot about Islam, different thinkers and stuff like that. Yeah. And then I would g- get my prayers together. And then eventually, got to a point where I said, you know I should start learning Arabic and start reading Quran in Arabic. And uh-huh. then slowly look for other ways. So but slowly, it was slowly, slowly. Not like before, everything's thrown at you and then you had to kind of do it. But then when I took time with it, it started to build up and mm-hmm. try to look for more. And mm-hmm.
0: more. So, yeah. And, and so, yeah, you can thus develop a craving for Islam. Uh, it can happen. I'm speaking from experience. Right? Uh, when I was growing up, you know, my parents were pretty hardcore about their prayers, but they didn't make me, they didn't force me to pray because they wanted me to start, you know, developing motivation to pray on my own. Part of me sometimes wonder, wishes that they force me to pray, right? Um, but the point being that once you start developing um, the desire, the taste, for craving for it, you will want more and more and more. So this is guidance to the straight path. Now, there's a couple ways the straight path is defined. Let's go to Sura 4. You guys all have, like, a, a translation or something to look at, like, on your phones or something. Okay. Let's go to Sura 4, and it's run IS 60. I think it's ayah 69. 68. And وَلَهَدَي, We uh, we would surely have guided them to a straight path. Whoever, and so now the straight path is defined in ayah 69. Number one, obeying Allah and His Messenger. That is one way the straight path is defined. To obey Allah and His Messenger. And part of us will think, yeah, that's obvious. But try to really, really formulate a vision of Islam as we go through this. Uh, and then and we define in al fatiha the path of those whom you have favored, right? So look at the, the rest of this ayah for what, are, what does it mean to be in the path of Allah's favors? Uh, number one there, a Nabiyeen, the Prophets, peace be upon him, are by definition of the path of Allah's favors. Okay. Number two was Siddiqeen. So these are the people who recognize truth when they see it. Number three, Shuhada. What, what are Shuhada? Shaheed. Martyrs. Okay. And then number four, Salihin. These are the upright people. So what are we saying? If I'm on the straight path, I'm on the path of Allah's favors. If I'm the path of Allah's favors, I'm one or more of these four people. Okay? Nabiyeen, prophets, okay, that's done. That's Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, that's the last one. So, what does it mean then of the other three? Siddiqeen is you recognize truth when you see it. So, we call Abu Bakr Siddiq. Why? Uh, A couple reasons. One is that he was the only person, or one of the only persons who went right into Islam without even asking any questions. Like, as soon as the Prophet, peace, peace be upon him, offered it, Abu Bakr recognized it, went right in. Okay. Uh, Also, when the prophet, peace be upon him, went on the night journey, he, uh, um, what was I going to say? He, uh, you know, he came back and he's telling everyone of this night journey that he went on. And some people are thinking, okay, this is just preposterous. You're saying you traveled to Jerusalem and heaven and hell, and you came back in like the blink of an eye, and you physically traveled. And, And so they went to Abu Bakr, and they said, can you believe what your friend is saying now? And Abu Bakr says, well, if he said it, then it's the truth. So what did he say? So they explained the night journey, and Abu Bakr said the Qur'an is more amazing than the night journey. Okay, which is a pretty cool point. The Qur'an is more profound than the night journey, or the fact that I already believe that words are coming from the sky is more amazing than that. Okay. And so, what are we saying? One of the benefits of developing deen in yourself is that you will start seeing and recognizing truth. Okay. You will start seeing reality for what it is. This is one of the consequences of practicing Deen. Okay. Shuhada. Why do we call someone a martyr? What does it mean that someone's a martyr? They died in
1: battle?
0: Yeah, often we say they died in battle, right? Now, what, why would we call them a martyr then? Because they gave up their most prized possession for their beliefs meaning the most prized possession is their life. And so why do we use the word witness? Because shuhada, shahada, is to bear witness. It's because you're bearing witness with your life. And you're bearing witness with your actions. So what are we saying here? That if you are on the straight path, the path of obeying Allah and His messengers, you are on the path of His favors, which means you will live your Islam. Okay? The third way, salihin, which simply is translated as being upright, but someone is saleh when they are so upright that people feel compelled to be upright just by being in their company. That's what it means to be saleh. That you have such strong character that either it inspires or, it inspires or compels people around you to improve their character. That is another consequence of being on the straight path. So one relates to your perception of reality. Okay? One relates to your action, and one relates to the influence you have on other people. Okay, These are all parts of Dean. You look like you have a question. Oh. Yeah, name, put, um, I'm this class on um, Israel Palestinian conflict. And there was this one, um, is, there any cl- is there any conflict in your class on Israel Palestinian conflicts? Okay, yeah. but,
1: um, So, okay, so there's article, and it's interesting because we were uh, looking at Palestinian suicide bombers and how they have, like, there's like camps at Al- Al-Aksa in the summer where like the martyrs or the relatives of martyrs come together, mm. um, and it was just interesting to see that like um, they were saying in the article that like religious scholars um, in Palestine were actually saying that there's a, they were making distinctions between suicides and martyrs martyrdom operations. Like yeah. they were saying like suicide is haram, but in these martyrdom operations that they're like taking upon are actually okay, uh-huh. which I was like. What? And so like all these like, people in
0: my class were reading that but I just so you're asking if there's any substance to that yeah, yeah I think uh, I mean it's easy for me to say living in the privilege of Chicago far away from those things but that seems to be uh, hair splitting going in the wrong direction right because your conscious attempt mm-hmm. is to destroy yourself mm-hmm. right it'd be something uh, fundamentally different if you're running into the line of fire, right? Um, um, so, I'm not a fan of that logic. And the the defenses that I've seen for for suicide bombing, the Islamic defenses don't strike me as very very strong. They seem to me to be leaps in logic, right? Um, uh, so so I mean so when someone says one suicide, and the other one's martyrdom. Uh, that doesn't sound to me to be a, a very strong argument, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, another way to think about this is that, you know, look at it from a sociological, psychological perspective, why is it that a 15-year-old can get convinced to go do that? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many 15-year-olds can you convince to do anything, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I have kids who are teenagers, and yeah, I love them all and, and such, but, you know, getting them out of bed is, is like my greatest jihad sometimes. But the point being that um, uh, you have a 15-year-old who's willing to destroy himself. Uh, I think there's a lot of big sociological and psychological lessons in there. So, but Allah knows Yeah. So yeah, so, so back to this. The, uh, what are we saying here is that these are essentially the consequences of being in belief. One should be clarity of thought. It should be one of the consequences of developing belief. Another should be that you're living in action. And another is that your character is upright to the point that it's affecting other people in a positive way. These should be the consequences of belief. And then the end of this ayah also gives, in ayah 69, gives us a hint. These are the best people to have here as your companions. So if I want to become more upright, I should put myself in the company of people who are upright. That is often the easiest way to transform. If I want to practice my Islam, I should put myself in the company of people who practice their Islam. That is often a lot easier than learning from books and then going through a whole process, me just putting myself in that company. This is why the TJs are so successful. The TJs are so successful because that's literally what you do, right? Tablighi Month, right? So, are you familiar with tablighi Month, Dude, you grew up in New York and you're dizzy? (laughs) Jmaat tablighi, yeah. Sorry? So, so... I mean, what do they do? Okay, you know, they'll have their, their, their Friday night lecture and then they want people to sign up. Who's going to sign up to go for three days? Who's going to sign up for go to seven seven days? Who's going to go sign up for 40 days, right? And then, and then you go and a lot of what you're doing is literally male bonding. It's basically a bunch of guys who are just hanging out together, getting away from everything, eating good food, talking religion. But when it's time to pray, everybody gets up and prays together. And that does have an effect on you. This is... This is, I mean, it's not a coincidence that the TJs are easily one of the most active movements on the planet. I don't think they're as strong in terms of the women's wing. But if you're someone who wants to get into the habit of praying, if you're a guy who wants to get into the habit of praying, TJs are one of the best ways to go. Just put yourself in the company of TJs. I mean, even at Juma at, at Loyola just now, we, they announced um, that there's going to be this, this dialogue event and they want Muslim students to show up uh, next week. So then I said, I interrupted, and I said, we're gonna go TJ on this. All right, I want seven people to raise their hand, right? One guy raises his hand very hesitatingly. And I go, raise it really high, right? Another person does, and by the end, we had the people, right? And that's how this stuff works, right? So the point is that if I want to be uh, upright, if I want to be better in my character, if I want to practice my Islam better, and even if I want to start seeing a reality better, to have more clarity of thought, I should put myself in the company of those people. That is one of the best ways to do that. And thus, what do we call the companions of the Prophet? Peace of we call them companions, as opposed to disciples. We didn't call them students. We call them companions. It's a very lateral relationship. Even though the Prophet peace mind, was the first among them all, it was very much a lateral relationship, which I think is a very profound labeling. Now, take this a step further. When I am asking Allah to guide me onto the straight path, the path of those whom you have favored, what am I really asking for? Okay, is there anyone in history who has not received favors from Allah? No, everybody has. By definition, if you have existence, you've received favors from Allah. If you have consciousness, you've received favors from Allah. So what am I really asking here? When I'm asking Allah, guide me onto the straight path, the path of those who are favored, whom you have favored, I'm saying to Allah, Ya Allah, guide me to see the favors that are in my life. That's what I'm asking for. So if I'm seeing the favors in my life, if I'm seeing my life is full of favors, how do I respond? What would be my response if I see my life as favors? People. Yeah, gratitude, which is how the surah begins. Alhamdulillah. So what is this surah? The surah is a prayer to develop gratitude. That is what the surah is. Every time you're reciting Al-Fatiha, when you're asking Allah for guidance, you're asking Allah to guide you to gratitude. Yes? There's this one. Sorry, I
1: noticed. <laughs> Another
0: random? No, it's not random. It okay. Raises. Um, there is a lady who basically said like she started
1: turning to God for gratitude instead of just time, in times of like grief. Yeah. Um, and so that, that is, like, one that just shows you one type of transformation that you should like always strive yeah. for. And it's like so true because a lot of us like, go feeling feel like yeah,
0: yeah, totally. The uh uh, like sometimes it's easier to be grateful for when wonderful things happen. If you can reach a level of faith that you're grateful when bad things happen, that's a pretty heavy-duty level of faith. I'm sorry. That's
1: like like the next
0: step. Yeah. Grateful for tests. Because why? What happens when you get tested? Mm -hmm. And then what else happens to you? Oh, let's change it. What happens when you're suffering? What happens to you? Tested. Okay. Yes, you're tested. But what else happens to you when Allah Taala causes you suffering? Yes. Sorry. You hopefully can turn closer to God. Some people will turn away. One thing that happens is that your sins start dropping away. Right? So you slate. Anytime you're hit with any difficulty, your sins are dropped away the way leaves fall from a tree. That's the teaching of the prophet. Peace be upon him. So big suffering, small suffering. Let's say something happens. You know, I'm te- let's say I'm teaching a class and somebody just keeps cracking their knuckles. And I'm like, stop it. In my mind, I'm thinking, stop it. <laughs> stop it, right? Uh, uh, if I'm just persevering through it, then inshallah, sins are dropping away from me. And then think of something huge, like a massive illness, or an illness one of your loved ones facings, facing. Sins are dropping away from you. Then you can make it a double benefit. When you are being hit with suffering, you persevere through it, and you also say, inna lillahi wa inna Ilayhi Because then what else is happening? Then now you're remembering Allah. So not only are you losing sins, you're also gaining benefit. If you have conviction that you will get out of it, either by death or that this too shall pass, then you are exercising conviction in the law. Even more benefits. Now this doesn't mean that, all right, let's say you leave this building and you get hit by a car, and you're like, oh, this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. No, obviously not. But the point is that the Prophet, peace be upon him has reported, have said that, you know, the lot of the believer is so wondrous. When good things happen, okay, you can understand why that makes them happy. But when bad things happen, they can appreciate the bigger picture. And that is a sign, they know that that's a sign that Allah loves them because Allah ta'ala is opening a big door for me to turn back to him. Because we understand how it's easy to be grateful when good things, when good things happen to you. But some people don't get grateful. Some people start getting, uh, what's the word? Starts with an E, Entitled. Right? Some people start getting entitled when good things happen to them. Especially when good things happen to them in a row and then suddenly a good thing doesn't happen. It doesn't mean a bad thing's happened. Then they almost start feeling entitled. Right. So the point is that both of those can be pitfalls. You can be someone who's hit with suffering and then <coughs> you turn away from Allah. You can be someone who's hit with prosperity and you turn away. So we might have talked about this before. We talked about the four tests. Do you remember the four tests? Any of them? Okay, okay. Your health, your wealth. No, no, not those Okay, so the four types of tests I should say. Okay. So we always say everything is a test. So you'll hear me talk about this 100,000 times. So every single moment of your life literally is one or more of the following four tests. So you're always being tested, right? We always say that's our answer for everything. It's a test, right? Good. <laughs> okay. One type of test is prosperity. Not change it. One type of test is ease. A second type of test is loss, or difficulty. A third type of test is the test of obedience. Do you obey Allah or not? And a fourth type of test is when you have to make a big decision in life, and it's very hard. Like, do I go this way or do I go that way? Do I marry this person or not? Do I take this job or not? Like, when you have to make a big decision. It's hard to figure out what the right answer is. When you do community work, you have to do this very often, and often all of your choices available to you are bad, right? If I take this choice, it'll cause this other problem. If I take this other choice, it'll cause this different problem. If I take this third choice, it's going to cause even bigger problems, and then you have to decide which of the bad choices is the choice to take. That's part of community work, right? So those are your four tests. How do you pass the four tests? We never talk about passing tests. We just say it's a test, right? How do you pass the test of prosperity? With gratitude. That's how you pass the test of ease. With gratitude. How do you pass the test of suffering? You persevere through it. Not having a bad impression of God. It's easy to fall in the trap of thinking, Oh man, God just makes all these things happen to me. No. You always still think good of God's destiny for you. What does it mean to persevere through it? It means, basically, you don't break the rules. Someone does something horrible to you, you don't then do something horrible to them. Because that would be breaking the rules. How do you pass the test of obedience? You obey. And how do you pass the test of making tough decisions? You make the best decision you can and trust Allah. To associate a dua with each of these, uh, the dua for the first one, for Ease is Surah 46 I fifteen. Are you Hafiz? Or, oh, okay. I don't know why I thought you were. Maybe. Why do I think you were? I don't know why. Do you know? Sorry? 46 I fifteen. Uh, maybe it's because now in my brain you're part of the circle of Walid which includes Hassan, and so that could be it. Oh yeah. yeah, by, yeah. by by lineage <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hafiz by association. Yeah. <laughs> so then um uh, so that dua, the simple translation is, "My Lord, guide me to be grateful for what You bestowed upon me and upon my parents, and guide me to work things that will be to Your favor." Make that dua on a regular basis. That was actually part of the gratitude assignment, anyway. Yeah. Um, how do you, uh, regarding the test of loss and suffering? Go to Surah 28, Ayah 24. Um, so, my Lord, I'm in need of any good you send down to me. That is the dua of Moses, peace be upon him, when he is on the run from the people of the Pharaoh to the point that he doesn't even have any food. He's so hungry he starts eating leaves. So, when you're in rock bottom, we even have a du'a for that, which is this. My Lord, I'm in need of any good you send down to me. Sur 28, Ayah 24. A du'a for obedience. One is the one that I mentioned. Ask Allah to be pleased with you. And ask Allah to make you pleased with Him. Another one, there's a lot of du'as for this. Another one is, O oh Allah, make easy for me what is halal. Make hard for me what is haram. And think about what that is saying. It's saying, oh Allah, please make appealing for me what is halal. And please make repulsive for me what is haram. And then the fourth, when you have to make a tough decision, istikhara. And what is the core of the istikhara prayer? If this is best for me, Make it happen. If not, don't let it happen. And please make me be happy with, with whatever is the right way. There are different ways to do istikhara That would be a whole separate conversation. Uh, a common way in our community is that you're deciding between one or the other, and you're doing istikhara hoping for some indication. Uh, another way is that you actually make a choice, and then you make the dua. If this is best for me, make it happen. If not, don't let it happen. And make me be happy with, with the result. Okay. Finishing off the surah. غير <clears throat> not of those on whom is anger. Look at your translations for Al-Fatiha. How does that part translated? So the last ayah, the path of those whom you have favored, and then what? Not,
1: not of those who have incurred your wrath, punishment, and condemnation, nor of those who are
0: straight. Okay, is your in parentheses or no? Uh,
1: for yours in parentheses and punishment and condemnation.
0: Okay because none of that is part of the text literal translation of the text is not of those on whom is anger not those of those on whom is anger it doesn't say who's anger you'd understand from the context of the surah that the anger would be referring to Allah but it is not limited to the anger of Allah so to put this in perspective anger is one of the opposites of gratitude gratitude because what's the opposite of gratitude, ingratitude, right? Simple point. So
1: there's no, nothing about astray?
0: Astray, that we'll get to. That's the last part, yeah. Um, so if I'm grateful, the opposite of that is that I'm ungrateful. And what does it mean to be ungrateful? It's basically saying I get nothing. Built into that is often the sentiment, I get nothing, but they get everything. What's another word for that? If you feel like you get nothing, but they get everything. Jealousy. So, in this context, anger is a type of jealousy, or jealousy is a type of anger. Okay. You have uh, something processing? Has the question formed yet? Yeah, yeah. Wait, so then, Islamically, what's the difference between jealousy and So, in terms of Arabic language, there's a whole bunch of different levels. So, at the end of the Quran, we say, you know, uh, second to last surah, we're asking Allah, you know, قُلْ الْفَلَقِ مِنْ وَمِنْ غَاسِقٍ إِذَا وَمِنْ نَفَثَاتٍ فِي الْأُقَدٍ وَمِنْ حَاسِدٍ إِذَا which is commonly translated as envy. Hasad is a type of envy where you want the recipient of whoever got something good, you want that person destroyed. So think of one type of envy where you just feel like you get nothing, but they get everything, and then that's the end of your thought. Another type of envy is you get nothing, they get everything, but you want everything too, Okay. Another type of envy is you get no, you feel like you get nothing, they get everything. You want theirs. Okay? But hasad is you feel like you get nothing, they get everything, and you want them destroyed because they get everything. That's pretty pretty slimy. Yeah. So, anger and gratitude cannot exist in the same heart. I mean, there's righteous anger, right? We're saying this type of anger, jealous anger, cannot exist in the same heart. One will win. Anger is like fire. Gratitude is like water. And what is the nature of fire? You've seen some people when they lose their temper, it's like you're looking for even more reasons to be angry. And even more reasons to be angry. And how does a fire work? A fire tries to stay alive by burning more and more and more and more until the entire forest is gone. Then the fire goes out right? Then things cool off. And that's what happens with anger. You push and push and push until you cross a really bad line. And then you cool off. That's how anger works. That's how fire works. Gratitude is water. The more gratitude you have in your heart, the more you will wash out a lot of your anger. And it's fascinating. Think of how much prosperity we have in our society and how much anger we have in our society. I mean, look at how many people are getting killed on a daily basis in the most prosperous country in the world, if not in history. Because there's no gratitude. I mean, there's institutional factors and all those things, so I don't want to minimize murder. But the lack of gratitude is also a very prominent thing in our society. So, what is a surah for? It's a prayer for increase of gratitude, decrease of anger. Because if I respond to Allah's gifts for me with anger, then what is the response I should expect from Allah? Anger. Right? Although that's not one of his attributes. So out of manners, we don't apply this anger to Allah. And what is the point here? Like we said, this ayah says not of those on whom is anger. We didn't say your anger. Because out of manners, you know, we're not speaking of Allah and his anger. And to make that point, manners are a big part of all this. Like if I was going to tell you about my mother's day, My mother got up and she did this, and then she did this, and she did this, and she did this. The whole of what I share with you will probably be spoken of with respect and affection for my mother. If it's not, then there's something wrong with me. And I'm also not going to share private things about how my mother spent her day. Because it's not even my business what to think of anyone else's business. So there's an adab in speaking manners in speaking about our parents. Likewise, there's manners in speaking about Allah. So one of the manners in speaking about Allah is that when speaking about Him, you only say good things. Right? So did Allah create shaitan? Yes. Did Allah create evil? Yes. But out of manners, we assign the evil to shaitan. We assign the evil to created things. Out of manners. But he still is the creator of everything. Right. So that's another point here. And the last part, not of those who are astray. Um, Those are just people who are lost. It's not even a question of gratitude or ingratitude. They're just lost. So overall, this is a script given to us as a prayer for gratitude. And gratitude by way of guidance. Any questions? Thoughts? Comments about anything? Again, little by little, we're going to be shifting more towards discussion much more. A lot of this is just laying out foundations. Okay, we can stop here. Subhanakallahumma, behamdika nashadu ala, ilaha illa anta, nastafirka na tubi lake. Subhanakallahumma, glory to you, O oh Allah, wa bihamdika, praise and gratitude to you. Nashadu ala, ilaha illa anta, we bear witness there is no God but you. Nastafirka, we seek your forgiveness. Wana tubi lake, and we turn to you. Subhanakallahumma, behamdika nashadu ala, ilaha illa anta, nastafirka, wana tubi ilaik. wa akhreda dawana, and alhamdulillah, ila belalameen. I'll tell word you all.